0: Welcome to the Impact Community Podcast, a conversation between pastors and church leaders. Whether you're a seasoned pastor or just a church planner trying to figure things out, none of us were meant to do ministry alone. That's why we have community, community that makes an impact. Welcome to the conversation. Let's talk.
1: Well, hello, everyone. I appreciate you guys joining in. This is Jay Carney, and we're going to go ahead and get started. Thank you, Paul, for uh, setting this up. And um, we, uh, appreciate you joining in today and I know we're all in different phases. I know some have already started back to church. Uh, I know I think maybe my brother and Woodline are starting back this coming Sunday. Uh, we're hoping to start back the 31st. And I know others of you are trying to figure that all out. Um, uh, and so we certainly are praying for you, but uh, we appreciate everyone joining in. And, uh, we, uh, had a great call last week, and uh, uh, certainly uh, uh, we're glad to have you on today. And uh, before we get started, we certainly want to pray, and we're going to ask uh, Devin Akers to pray, and then we're going to ask uh, David McGovern to introduce Brother Handthorn to us. We're honored to have him today. But Devin, uh, before we get started today, would you mind uh, uh, just praying for us that God would be with us?
2: Absolutely. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you, God, and we thank you, Lord, for uh, the fact that you've been with us through all of this. Lord, we know that many are in a place where they're making decisions in unprecedented times. And God, each of us have different challenges depending on where we may be located. And so, Lord, we're asking you today that uh, in the multitude of counselors, we would find wisdom. And then, Lord, also that when we ask you, as your scripture says, that you would pour out wisdom upon all of us. We thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity Uh, to be connected in this way and lord i just ask you to continue to be with us over the next few weeks in the name of
1: thank you Devin. appreciate that and we certainly are uh, looking for wisdom during this season and uh if any of you guys have anything uh questions that you have that topics you would like us to discuss certainly maybe mention it in the comments and uh we can uh, do that over the next coming weeks. But uh, thank you, David, for inviting Brother Hanthorne. If you would, we'd love for you to introduce him, and we'll certainly get started. Thank you, Jay. And
0: it's a privilege today to have Pastor Joe Hanthorne with us on the Impact Community Conference call. Pastor Hanthorne leads a phenomenal church in Milwaukee, a great city. They're on the north end of town, and uh, I'm won't tell you the story that's his to tell, but um, doing a phenomenal job there. And uh, a number of us have got to know Brother Hanthorn over the last few years. And uh, he, he's a phenomenal guy, a phenomenal leader. One of the things that really stuck out in my mind uh, when I spent uh, a week or a weekend with him recently, a couple years ago, in Milwaukee, was uh, I noticed that at at Joe's church, there are so many phenomenal young couples that he has discipled and led into ministry, and it really, uh, really just stuck out in my mind. It resonated with me, and um, and he's doing a phenomenal job leading. He's a disciple maker and a church builder, and I can't say enough great things about. Uh, Brother Hanthorne, we just want him to take his liberty today. We're so privileged and honored that he'd be with us uh, on the call today. Brother Hanthorne.
3: All right. Well, thank you, David. I appreciate those kind words. Uh, and I'm deeply honored to get to be with you guys today. Um, I do feel a little bit, uh, I told David when he asked me to to join with you guys today, that I felt like I was being asked to punch a little above my weight. Uh, I've listened to some of the past calls and you guys have had some great speakers on here and uh, I know you've got a great team and uh, I think this is a a wonderful opportunity to just glean from each other and uh, to share and grow. So I'm I'm honored to be a part. I'll tell you just a little bit about me. I'll make it very quick. Uh, I'm 44 years old. Um, I've not always been in church, not always been in ministry, uh, had a very, very colorful history and past, Um, was saved when I was 18 years old. And uh, wound up um, going through a very, uh, very unique period of development. After that, uh, I had to deal with some some past mistakes that I made. I, I'll just I'll just throw this out here real quick. Um, I wound up going to prison for an armed robbery that I committed uh, prior to coming to the Lord. Um, when I was 18 years old, I was strung out on drugs and uh, had committed an armed robbery was saved in Sherman, Texas, filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name while I was out on bond, and um, wound up um, going to prison for five years uh, for the armed robbery that had been committed prior uh, to, uh, to being saved. Uh, during that time, uh, my pastor stayed with me, uh, mentored me, um, fell in love with my Bible, uh, fell in love with um, uh, you know, doctrine, and uh, d- developed a prayer life in prison. Uh, When I was uh, released in May of 2000, I went back to the same little church where the Lord had touched my life and uh, was soon involved in ministry. Wound up going to college, uh, graduated with two degrees uh, in secondary education and in history. I wanted to be a history teacher and a basketball coach, and uh, my junior year, I felt the Lord redirect me and um, began to get involved in, in ministry, actively teaching Bible studies, and Uh, eventually just sharing my my testimony at different events. Um, Married my wife uh, in 2004, she was a Texas Bible college student and I rescued her from that environment. And uh, we uh, were married my senior year on spring break. And then um, shortly after I graduated, the Lord opened a door for us to take a position in Dallas at a wonderful church there in that area. And we served as administrative pastors there for about three years. Um, moved to Florida for a year, served as an as a, a associate pastor there at a church in the Orlando metro area at my father-in-law's church. And uh, then we um, were given an opportunity 12 years ago to take a church plant uh, here in the, the Milwaukee metro area. Uh, it was in a storefront. Uh, it was a very um, uh, challenging operation, but we felt clearly the Lord had called us uh, to this work and to this area. Uh, it, You know it takes a calling when you leave Florida and you come to, to Milwaukee, um, but we, we certainly felt the peace of God and uh, moved here, uh, plugged in. Uh, God has blessed us since then. We've watched the, the church uh, grow and uh, we've been able to expand our ministries. Uh, we have been privileged to uh, plant uh, one daughter work and we have another adoptive daughter work that we're working with. Um, and we've seen some some remarkable things happen in the last 12 years. Um, David asked me when he called. He asked, uh, or I asked him rather, um, what he would like for me to to share about. And as he've already as he's already alluded to, he talked about ministry development. And uh, so I'm d- I'm going to take just a few minutes here, um, and I'm just going to share with you some thoughts that I have, just some general principles that I think have made a difference in in our church and in our ministry and then i'll open it up for some questions here at the end um i'm I'm certainly not an authority on any topic i promise you that but certainly not an authority on this topic um when it comes to leadership development but i do think that i have uh, tapped into a couple of things that have worked here for us and maybe they could be a blessing or maybe they could work for you or uh, for others that may be listening in um you know there there is a, a an important distinction and most of you probably know this, but there's an important distinction between church culture and church systems. And I think sometimes we we inadvertently mistake uh, systems for culture, and we, we can get so focused on the systems that we inadvertently neglect the culture. And I, I want to talk just a little bit, primarily less about systems today, and, and more about culture and more about the principles that we've seen work here in our local church, if, if you think of it in an agricultural sense, um, systems are the methods of planting, but culture is the climate in which you are trying to plant those seeds. And if you have the wrong culture or the wrong climate, you can use just about any method you want, and it's not going to produce the desired results in the long term. And so, I, I believe in systems. Don't get me wrong. I I, I believe that our church aspires. Uh, to build and to implement good, effective processes And, and we try our best to do that. However, when I reflect on whatever success we've had here over the past few years in developing leaders, I think it is due in large part not to the specific systems that our church has implemented, but more to the principles or to the culture that we have tried to create over the last 10, 12 years. And I just want to talk a little bit about that. Now we all know, um, we all know that we have a biblical mandate. I think one of the one of the greatest callings that I have as a minister is to cultivate and to develop leaders under my ministry. That extending my ministry into future generations is one of the highest uses of my time and my energy. Um, we think about the biblical mandate that we find in Second Timothy chapter two and verse one. Paul writes and says, you therefore my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We all know that we're called to develop leaders. Um, The topic of leadership development is a little bit like the topic of prayer. All of us know we're supposed to do it, but sometimes actually doing it can be a real challenge. Uh, we find hurdles. Uh, we're, we're looking for the right people to invest in. Um, we're disappointed by people in our in our ministries that uh, we we have so much high hopes for, and then they disappoint us. Um, it can be challenging to do it. Uh, Paul refers here to the reward of um, of leadership development. Four generations are affected in this in this passage. Uh, Paul. Timothy, the leaders that Timothy will develop, and the leaders that those leaders will then in turn invest in. And so the the reward for leadership development is worth any risk involved. Uh, There's certainly a a, a time risk, an emotional risk, an investment risk, but investing in people is probably one of the greatest things that I think any minister can do, and I certainly feel that it's been one of the best use of my times. In my estimation, the greatest legacy that I will ever leave the kingdom of God or this Milwaukee metro area is is not going to be a collection of sermons that I've preached. It's not going to be a, a campus complex that we have developed or established. It's going to be men and women who love the same message that I love and people who expand and extend the same mission that I feel God has called me to be on. Uh, It's about extending our influence far beyond our own reach. And I think when we understand that, it motivates us to do the hard work of developing men and women around us. In the text that I just read to you, Paul used the word commit. And when you do a little research on that word, it literally means to entrust or to deposit. He said, commit these to men who will in turn commit them to others. Make deposits in men who will in turn make deposits in others. And I think that's what leadership development is all about. It's about an ongoing series of deposits that we make in other people's lives. I don't know that it's about a class as much as it is about, you know, it's, it's both caught and taught. Uh, there are things that, that I deposit in someone's life just from bringing them close to me, from allowing them to watch the way that I do ministry. And we are called, again, to make these consistent and repeated deposits in other people's lives you know i was thinking about uh and guys i i'm just going to be honest with you i'm i'm not a i'm I'm not a systems teacher i'm not a a conference preacher so i'm just going to share from my heart for a few minutes and and if i'm a little rustic then just bear with me okay Um, but when i think in terms of some of this you know i think a lot of times we approach this with a manufacturer's mindset where we're we're looking to manufacture a product And what we have to understand is that leadership is not about manufacturing. Leadership is about cultivation. And there's a huge difference between a manufacturing mentality and a cultivating mentality. Manufacturing mentality is time conscious. It's about the most effective way to get it done. It's about uh, uh, duplicating the same results over and over again. Whereas cultivation involves a whole lot of patience. It, it understands that it takes deposits of a seed and it takes patience for the harvest and it, t- it takes creating the right climate for that seed to grow men and ministries must be cultivated they, they cannot be manufactured I cannot make people like me I cannot find somebody and say I'm gonna make you a missionary I'm gonna make you a, a preacher I'm gonna make you a youth pastor God calls men to the ministry And it is our job to steward the call that God has placed on their life, which means that there there is a level of control that we have to surrender to God, understanding that I'm not controlling this person's destiny and this person's outcome, but I'm here to serve the call of God that is on their life. So I want to talk a little bit about that culture. And I just have a few things that I want to share with you, um, just three principles that I think have worked well for us. And, and again, maybe this doesn't work for you. And and I understand that if it doesn't, every situation is unique and different. But through the years, we have been very intentional. And, and I, I didn't know this early on, but looking back, we've been very intentional on creating a culture of servant leadership. If you're gonna write a couple of things down, you might wanna write these, th- these three things down. And that is to, to create a culture of servant leadership. There's, there's always going to be a room for systems, uh, room for processes, classes, uh, how we move people through our discipleship program, how we move people through our, our leadership program. There's always room for systems, for tweaking those, for improving those. But I think if we miss the culture, we're going to struggle immensely on being effective and productive with our systems. So I think one of the first things that we have to instill in our church culture is we have to instill the idea that we are called by God to be servants and instill the mindset of, of a servant in not only our top leadership in the church, but those men and women that are aspiring to ministry and leadership beneath us. You guys all know that, that at the end of the day, we are the guardians of the culture in our church. Um, Brother Soto told me years ago, he said, one of the most important things that you will ever do is defend the culture of your local assembly and it is our responsibility to be the gatekeepers of that culture culture begins and ends with us in the local assembly it rises and falls on what we value and on what we prioritize we really are the ones that set the culture in our church and i think when we when we say that it then puts a huge amount of responsibility on us to both model and prioritize Certain attitudes that we want in the the ministers beneath us, in our top leadership in the church, we need to create first of all an atmosphere of servant leadership. You know, um, in our in our local assembly, throughout the last probably I'd say eight to ten years, we have worked very hard to remove the entitlement mentality from our ministry culture. That no one is entitled to a position of influence, to a voice in anybody else's life. We're, we're not entitled to any kind of special treatment, special recognition. And this, this may seem like a small thing, but it's the only thing I know to share with you guys today. We, we Again, we've worked really hard to help our young ministers understand that ministry is a privilege, not an opportunity. That, that ministry is a chance to, to invest in and serve God, by serving others and i think it begins with the pastor um, you know at our at our church and again I, guys i'm i'm i want to be very careful here not to not to say anything that would come across as um you know uh tooting my own horn or or or, or you know bragging on what what's happened here but god has blessed us richly in the last 12 years uh, our, our church membership is is just under 500 uh, we started with about 80 folks in a storefront. We now have three campuses. Um, in the last, I think, 10 years, we've licensed seven ministers out of our church. Part of that is because, I think, of this, this mentality that this is we've got to have a kingdom focus uh, where, where we are truly putting the kingdom and putting others ahead of our own careers, ahead of our own initiatives, ahead of our own agendas or our own motives. Um, in, in our church, it is not uncommon for uh, our members to see pastor picking up a vacuum cleaner and vacuuming the hallways. It is not uncommon for them to see my wife and I serving in the food line for our nacho fundraisers. It's it's not They're not shocked when they see me sign up for a cleanup team after a, a Friday night event or a, a Sunday night church picnic Um, and we do that intentionally now early on we did that because we had to that we didn't have enough staff to to assign that to somebody else but what we've discovered through the years is that that's part of creating a culture because if we want our leaders our aspiring leaders under us to have a mindset of servanthood then we have to demonstrate that i am the gatekeeper of the culture I can't tell people to be a servant and not model that for them. And so in our church, we've repeatedly tried to do that. Now I know guys, I know that there are all kinds of leadership models out there that would say that, that that's wrong. That that's a waste or not the highest and best use of my time to be serving in some of those areas. Let somebody else serve. There are others that could do that. Uh, We've all heard the, the thought process of, You know, find the find the three things that only you can do, and focus on those. But I wonder what those leaders would have said to Jesus the night that he took a towel and got down at his disciples' feet. They probably would have said, "Lord, someone else can do that. You need to do what only you can do." But Jesus didn't. He didn't ascribe to that mentality of doing what only you can do. Jesus understood the power of setting uh, an example of servant leadership for his disciples and i think as pastors we have to understand that if we want to develop leaders we have got to take lead on setting that example serving the body of christ serving the kingdom of god putting things ahead of our own agenda our own motive and and letting them see us humble ourselves and walk in that spirit of servanthood now um we uh, we we when we foster a, a culture of servant leadership, here's what happens: the developing leaders in our organization become more teachable, and they become more responsive to our direction. When people see us serve, when they see us as leaders, put our get our hands dirty. Um, I had a had a minister that we hired years ago, um, and he had never served with us. He was coming and this was a new culture for him. And I remember we had 10 yards of dirt delivered. We were doing some landscaping and um, we found out that a thunderstorm was coming. And so I I went and knocked on his door and I said, Hey, I need you to need you to get your uh, get your coat on and uh, get some gloves if you've got them and come on outside and help me. He said, where are we going? I said, we're going to move 10 yards of dirt. He said, "What? What do you mean, move it?" I said, "Well, we've got some shovels, and you and I are going to put some shovels in the dirt, and we're going to move this dirt off of the parking lot because it's about to rain." And uh, he said, "Well, couldn't we get somebody else to do that?" And I said, "No. Everybody in our church is at work right now, and and the rain is about to come, and it's time for us to get our to get our hands dirty." And I know most of you know that, but I I have been around ministers that that really feel that that we're a profession, and we're not a profession we are servant leaders first. We, we are called to model this. And if we want, if we want teachable people in our organization or in our sphere of influence, then we've got to model humility because modeling that will create a teachable environment. And I think sometimes we we fight our developing leaders. I, I don't know if you guys have ever dealt with this, but I've had, I've had young leaders, they, they, they operate in ideals and, they see the way things could be improved, they're focused on methods, and and how many times have we as pastors fought developing leaders in our church over a difference of opinion about methods? And a lot of times we have that tension because they have not fully bought in to the culture of submission, the culture of humility and serving others. Um, Reagan Matheson is our is our full time youth pastor here. a Great guy, and uh, we've watched him grow up. He was 14, I believe, when I became the pastor, and uh, he just does exceptional in so many areas. And he he was preaching uh, several Sundays ago before we went into the lockdown. He said something that I'd completely forgot about. He was he was 17 years old. He was he was wearing skinny jeans on the platform that looked like. Dress slacks. I, I had a policy no jeans on the platform, and he he push the envelope a little bit, and he, he wouldn't wear socks, and or he'd wear those no-show socks, and uh, I was always forever chasing him down, getting on to him, trying to you know push a certain standard that I had. And uh, he, he he mentioned a couple Sunday nights ago, or several months ago, that uh, he remembers a time when he came to me. And he was wanting to change the way we did announcements and service. And he was pushing an agenda. He's 18 years old. He knows everything. He knows how church is supposed to be run and he's pushing this agenda. And he, he he said that I lovingly pulled him aside and said, Reagan, if you would put as much energy into loving the people of this church and serving the people of this church, God would explode your ministry. Now, I forgot that I said that to him but he never forgot that. We were I've been very intentional about challenging this concept of servanthood first, humility first, submission first all the all the talent will come all of the gifting will come all of the methods will come but the culture has got to first and foremost be a culture of servant leadership. Uh, the second thing that I think we've done that has helped us, in developing leaders is we have worked hard to create a culture of personal ministry, a culture of personal ministry. Personal ministry is the one ministry skill that you can help your aspiring leaders develop that will serve them their entire life anywhere they go in the kingdom of God. And by personal ministry, I mean things like Bible studies or or personal discipleship, one-on-one mentoring with other people. Our church is built on Bible studies. Um, I am addicted to personally teaching Bible studies. And I don't say this in any way to say anything about me, but I presently, even in this context of this lockdown, I have four active Bible studies going by way of Zoom. Before the lockdown, I had six active Bible studies going. In the job description of every person I hire is the requirement that they teach two active Bible studies a week. we have, we have worked very hard uh, to, to make sure that our church and our aspiring leaders understand that ministry is not in the pulpit. That ministry takes place when you are face-to-face with somebody else. Ministry is about investing in another life. And I think we sometimes miss the opportunity to define ministry for our aspiring leaders. And for them, ministry is the conference. Ministry is the stage. Ministry is the message. And we've tried to shatter that paradigm and help them understand that the highest use of our voice in our ministry is when we can we, we can evangelize somebody one-on-one. We sort of have a, have a rule of thumb around here. If you can't preach to one, you can't preach to a sanctuary. And you're not going to get in the pulpit at our church unless you are actively teaching a home Bible study. Creating that culture of personal ministry helps them understand what ministry is really all about. And I don't know about you, but I've learned through the years that that my ministry has been enriched by prioritizing home Bible studies, by teaching people one-on-one. I would say a large majority of my messages, sermons that I preach, are born out of home Bible studies, where there's seed thoughts that come out when I'm teaching. Um, I stay connected to the harvest. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm in touch with where our community is, with where sinners in our community are living and the struggles that they're facing, I'm, I'm not hidden behind a pulpit. And I've heard pastors, guys, I've heard pastors say things like, well, Bible studies just aren't my style. Or that's just not where I'm called. I'm called to pastor. I, I think Bible studies are not a, a. I'll never forget hearing Brother Huntley, at, at a because of the times. Uh, some of you may have been there. He was he was up on the platform, and they had him on a on a on a, on a small group where they had a, a a panel of about four or five um, people representing different church growth methods. They had someone there representing counseling ministry, someone representing small groups. And then they had Brother Huntley there representing Bible studies. And I'll never forget when they got to Brother Huntley, he, he lovingly just said, You know, I, I appreciate all these people that are on the stage with me, but please understand that home Bible studies are not a church growth method. They are the Great Commission. And, and I think we've got to have that mentality. We've got to help our, our, our aspiring leaders to understand that. Um, so anyone who gets in our ministry development here is required to have ongoing active home Bible studies. We won't sign a minister's license if you have not put people on the pews uh, by way of home Bible studies. So we've worked hard to create a culture of ministry. Um, When we teach Bible studies, when our leaders teach Bible studies, they're better evangelists. They learn how to find people where they are. They become more effective, more compassionate ministry leaders. Um, They are able to communicate. Uh, uh the gospel effectively by sheer repetition teaching bible studies over and over again i'll just throw a couple of things out at you about bible studies when i first uh, got exposed to teaching bible studies I, I was about two years out of prison um i was at a local church the church had just gone through a pastoral transition and um we were looking at a new pastor And I was asked to be on the pulpit committee. And so I I wanted to be a real sharp guy. So I wrote down four or five very smart questions that I could ask this guy. And uh, we got on a conference call with him and uh, he began to just share his heart and and it was time for me to ask questions. And I I asked this uh, candidate, this pastor who was candidating to become the the pastor who would eventually be voted in. I asked him, I said, you know, my brother, what would you do to take a church of a hundred To the next level can you give me the methods can you give me the 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 techniques that you would bring to the table that would help us grow to that next level and i'll never forget what he said he said joe let me ask you a question he said are you presently teaching a home bible study i said well no but this interview is not about me he said oh I, i beg to differ this interview is about you he said when's the last time you taught a home bible study and i said well i don't think i've ever taught a home bible study He said, well, the way I would grow the church is I would get guys like you teaching home Bible studies. And that changed my life. And I'll never forget when he he became the pastor, he pushed me into Bible studies. And I taught Bible studies with some of the craziest people on planet Earth. I I was was rehearsing to some of our leaders not long ago um, some of the places that I've taught Bible studies. And it's just insane. I'll never forget in Texas – um, some of you from Arkansas may relate to this, um, but in Texas, East Texas, there was this, this uh, you know, the old pickup truck camper shells that go on the back of the pickup. Well, there was a couple that I got connected with. They were living inside one of those camper shells that was not on a pickup. It was sitting in somebody's backyard. And I used to climb up inside that camper shell and teach that couple a Bible study. I remember teaching a guy who, who he was, uh, he was, uh, disabled out of work. He had four three kids, four kids actually. One of them was 18. He was married to an 18-year-old woman uh, who had a, a child and they all lived in a one-bedroom apartment and I would go teach this guy and he would ask me questions about what was appropriate in his marriage relationship between him and his new 18-year-old wife and I'd leave there and I'd call my pastor and tell him I'm never teaching this jerk again and he'd talk me off the ledge. And what I discovered is after three years of teaching the craziest people on planet earth and feeling like I was getting nowhere. I had no success whatsoever in three years of teaching Bible studies, not one convert. But after three years, my wife and I taught a young Hispanic lady um, who had a very messed up life. Her name is Juanita. She is now a pastor's wife in South Texas. Our next win was a young man who was coming off alcoholism. He's now a missionary in Europe with the United Pentecostal Church it took us three years to to train us. God was training us through three years of the most disastrous bible study teaching on planet earth and so we put our leaders through that same crucible. They need to get exposed to all the all the, the the knuckleheads and the crazies and the and and they need to sit down in those environments and struggle through those sessions because it's not so much about them teaching the people, it's about God teaching them about the harvest. It's about God developing them. And so we have worked hard to create that culture of personal ministry, where when we talk about ministry, the thought process of our leaders is not a church service. It is it is Bible studies. It is engaging people on a one-on-one level. So, um, Again, you know, we we've just set some policies: no preaching without Bible study, no advancement without fruit. We're not unkind about it, but these are real kingdom expectations. Go back to the parable of the talents: that if you're not producing, we're not going to advance you in our system of ministry. This has got to be about making a difference uh, in the kingdom of God. Let me let me give you the last principle that we've worked. So, so first principle is a culture of leadership, second is a culture of ministry, and the third is a culture of stewardship. Several years ago, uh, when we first moved into our new building, God opened the door for us to purchase a 40,000 square foot campus uh, here in the, the north part of the Milwaukee metro area, and I knew inherently that our church culture was going to change, uh, moving from a storefront to a massive complex like that. And I was seeking God for direction, for our, our church, for our future. And I'll never forget, I was driving to the church. I could take you almost to the spot where the Lord spoke to me. And God said to me very clearly in our, in our vehicle, I'm going to make you a, a steward of men. Now, I've believed in, practiced and preached biblical financial stewardship my whole life. I've always believed in the principles of give and it shall be given to you, that I'm a manager of God's money, not my own. I've also believed in the principle of stewardship when it comes to, to being a pastor and relating to the church business, that I'm a steward over God's heritage, not my own. But I'd never, I'd never translated that to working with men, to working with men and women that God had trusted me with. But the Lord was helping me understand that he was going to bring people into my sphere of influence, and I was going to be asked to steward their calling, to steward their giftings, that it wasn't to serve my purpose, it wasn't to serve my end, but I was here to serve their calling, and I think that's a major shift in our mindset as as men and women who are developing leaders, that I'm not developing them to serve our church's agenda. I'm not developing them to serve my agenda or to to serve our local assembly. I am serving the call of God on their life. God has asked me to steward their giftings, to steward the call of God, the anointing that he has placed on them. A couple of things that I think we need to understand about stewardship is number one, stewards work with what they are given. A lot of times we are we are hanging around, waiting for the right person to invest in. We're looking for the person who merits our investment. Uh, I started a, a a new leadership development class recently here at our church, uh, comprised mostly of uh, was it a, I forget all these generations Generation Z and and millennials, and these guys are absolutely forgive me for all of you that are in that generation, but some of these guys are challenging to work with. And maybe that's because I'm out of touch, but I couldn't get them to respond to an email. I couldn't, when I had asked other men to be a part of our ministry development class, they approached it like it was an honor. But these guys approached it like, man, I'm not sure I'm ready for that. I'm not sure, Uh, that's a little bit of a commitment. I'm not sure I'm ready to make that kind of commitment. I had one guy say, I really should check with my mom before I commit to doing this. I'm like, man, I don't think you're ready for this. If you've got to talk to mom. And I was so frustrated because I saw talent in some of these guys. I saw the giftedness in these guys, but they weren't ready. And I I, I was, again, I have a lot of talks with the Lord. It's 15 minutes down one road from my house to the church. And I was talking to the Lord on that road one Sunday morning, coming to invest in some of these knuckleheads. And and the Lord said, you are so frustrated because you're not getting what you want. You want, and, and he named the guys, this guy, this guy, and this guy, to love what you're doing and be excited about what you're doing. But you're forgetting about this girl and these two other guys over here that don't have a lot of talent, but they are extremely hungry to learn. They have owned and bought into the culture that you have created there. Why don't you invest in them? And so I've, I've started making some investments, and, and one of them, I've just seen God do some incredible things. This young lady has started basically her own church on one of our local campuses as we have begun to invest in her. So work with what you're given. Um, we don't always get the leaders we want to work with, but we work with what we have. Um, inevitably, somebody's going to be hungry to grow. The, the second thing about the culture of stewardship is we've got to have a vision for them. I'll never forget hearing a friend of mine say, I was asking him about, um, I called a a pastoral friend and asked him if I could uh, present an opportunity to someone in his church who was an aspiring minister. And um, he said, he said, absolutely. He said, because I simply don't have a vision for that individual. And I've never forgotten that. And, And the sense that as a leader, I should have a vision for the leaders under me. And I think we need to ask God to help us have a leader or have a vision for them. And, and that vision may involve having some um, dream-friendly conversations with them. You know, when, when we're stewarding men and women in our church, we need to be willing to, to ask them questions about what, what they feel God is speaking to them. Uh, I'll never forget, uh, Nate, you may know, or uh, Dave, you may know Nate Peterson in our church. Uh, good guy. I'll never forget driving down the road. And he'd been with us for eight or 10 years, licensed. And I just asked him, I've never asked him before. I just asked him, I said, what has God called you to do? And he got real quiet. And I said, "I said, this is a dream-friendly conversation. Nothing's going to change. Nothing's going nothing's to alter here. What is God calling you to do? And he, he shared with me what he was seeing in his future. And it almost frightened him. But we need to have those kind of conversations with the people that we're called to lead. Instead of assuming that we know what God has called them to do, we need to investigate what they've heard from God and and where God is leading them. Um, I've also had a number of ministers in our our church. We've asked them to draft ministry plans. Um, Where's God taking you? Uh, How long do you think it's going to take to get there? Uh, We had a a young man uh, about five years ago in one of our mission services. Um, we had a guest speaker in and had a great service. And I looked over and I saw this young man literally just, just hit the floor face down. And um, I, uh, I I leaned over to our guest speaker and I said, I believe the Lord just called that man to, to missions. And about two weeks later, that man set up an appointment with me, came into my office and he said, I feel like the Lord has called me to missions. And I said, well, let's, let's unpack that. What does it look like? And I began to work with him to develop a ministry plan to move him forward in that call of God on his life. So uh, work with what you're given, have a vision for him. And then I think one of the greatest proofs of whether you're a steward or not is your willingness to let go. The proof of stewardship is our, is our willingness to let go. We often teach and preach our, our, to our church congregations that the proof of being a, a, a good financial steward is that I'm willing to give. The, the proof of stewardship is in giving, and the same is true when I'm stewarding men. If I'm not willing to release men and women into their call, into the 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 ministry that God has has preordained for them, then I'm not acting as a steward. I'm acting as an owner. Now that doesn't mean there's not there's not parameters on that. We certainly have to to protect them sometimes uh, from from mistakes and and from uh, you know uh, situations. Not every opportunity is the will of God. I think as a pastor, we have a responsibility to prayerfully guide them on that process, but we do have to be willing to release them. So systems are great once the climate and the culture is right. And I think three things for us that have been keys to our culture is a culture of stewardship, culture of personal ministry, and the culture of servant leadership. Um, You know, we build our culture by what we model by what we celebrate, by what we pray about, and by what we defend. Our church started a few years back praying that God would use us to raise up leaders. Now, maybe other churches do this, but we've made this one of our visionary prayer points for our church. We, we pray often. We ask all of our members in the church to pray that God would raise up missionaries, pastors, and evangelists out of our church. This honors the very heartbeat of Jesus. There aren't many things that Jesus asked us to pray for, but one of them was that we would pray for laborers. The harvest is plenty. Laborers are few. And God has asked us to pray for laborers. And so our church has taken this seriously. We, we pray that God would use us to raise up ministers, missionaries, evangelists, to go forth into the harvest. I'll give you just a few quick methods that we do here. Um, we do have uh, two classes uh, on a regular basis right now. We have an equipped class, which is a general principles leadership class. It's 24 weeks or 24 lessons. And then that's followed by what we call our advanced ministry training, which is more for pulpit ministry, for men, who have, men or women who have expressed a call of God to public ministry. And that's a little more practical tools uh, we teach them how to baptize. We teach them how to administer communion. Uh, we teach them how to do hospital visits. Uh, we'll actually walk with them through the whole process. We've even done kind of a mock baptisms, showing them how to baptize people. Um, we have um, tried to work with them when it comes to knowing how to do premarriage marriage counseling. We open up our vault. We give them all of our resources, all the questionnaires that I have on funerals or, or, uh, the policies that we have on funerals. We walk them through all of those special services that they may be asked to be a part of. I'll never forget when I first became a pastor, guys, I didn't have anything. And I wish somebody would have given me just one set of funeral notes or, uh, you know, one marriage outline. Uh, so once someone goes through the first 24 lessons, which is general principles, character, culture, we then take them through the AMT, which is more the tools, the methods. And that's when we open up the vault and we give them all the resources that we have. Uh, we read books together. Um, we challenge them to, to write about the books. We'll ask questions. Uh, we, 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 I think we put two books a quarter uh, on their plate. And then uh, we have AMT preaching opportunities where we, we do tag team preaching. Most churches have done this throughout the history of our movement. There's been a number of churches doing it. Um, we provide the topic for them, we have them turn in their notes a couple weeks in advance. We evaluate their notes. We offer feedback for them. Um, we give them a set timeline that they're to operate in. They need to learn that kind of discipline. Um, and then we debrief with them afterwards their message and their delivery. I don't know about you, but when, when I was first in the ministry, I craved feedback. I wasn't afraid of feedback. I needed people to tell me where I could improve. And I think our leaders uh, are responsive to that. Um, and then, of course, you know, uh, I've already mentioned that when we when they complete the course, we open up the vault and give them everything that we have. So just in recap, guys, for us, it's all about culture over process. Uh, we, we value process, but it's culture first. It's a culture of servant leadership. It's a culture of, of personal ministry and a culture of stewardship where we're letting go, where we're understanding that ministry is about stewarding God's heritage, not our own, not building our own kingdom. Brother David, I'll turn it back over to you. I hope that was okay.
2: Wow. Um, thank you, bro, for sharing
0: all of that with us. And um, I commented in the text thread there, but I just love the intentionality behind everything that you're doing with your leaders. I want to just open this up for a little bit of Q and A for a few minutes.
2: Hey, this is Jaron. Uh, thank you, Brother Panthorn. That was absolutely amazing. Uh, not sure if we could get your notes or not, but we'd love to love to share with those. With, yeah, that, the, that was uh, that was spectacular, convicting, uh, but also uh, empowering. And uh, thank you for sharing what you do and how you built your church with the help of the Lord there. I, I Just a personal question. You talked a lot about equipping leaders today, and I know that's that's huge. Uh, we're in this whole uh, system of, you know, this has been a very revealing season. I told the guys on the call a couple weeks ago that, you know, I think the the largest hole that we see here at our local church is just that of personal evangelism, uh, personal discipleship. I know what you do with your leaders do you keep that strictly with your leaders or do you create a culture of that within the whole body?
3: Do you try to, I'll let you answer that. No, that's, that's a great question. And and we do, we've, we've really worked hard to make our church culture. Um, Someone asked me a few years ago uh, to describe what our, what our Bible, to, to sort of talk about our Bible study ministry. And we don't really have a bible study ministry in a church because it's so much a part of our culture it just is who we are that we don't really have a standalone ministry for bible studies um we you know i think i heard david mcgovern say years ago at one of our uh we we were some event together and uh, i think you mentioned what, what gets celebrated gets duplicated or gets repeated and you know we have we have tried to celebrate bible studies even 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 if it means taking a little bit of time out of our services to celebrate our Bible study teachers, to celebrate when people complete Bible studies. Uh, you know, we're, we're growing and we have the challenges, you know, with having more going on, but we've still made a priority. We, we understand if we lose that, we can lose our culture. So we've just repeatedly been celebrating Bible studies in our church. So to answer your question, yes, it, it's, it's a church-wide culture, not just a leadership culture.
2: Good deal. Awesome. So your your whole evangelism model is, you know, everybody reaching somebody. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, to me, what has plagued the North American church is that our evangelism style, sadly, has been get them to the church and the church to take care of it. Like we'll we'll do it with our our discipleship classes, you know, our newcomer classes, and uh, that just doesn't work in the current state that we're in, nor, nor is that the model of the Acts 2 church. Mm-hmm. And so we're, uh, we're going to be better as a result of this season. And, uh, thank you. Thank you for sharing your heart. I'll, I'll talk you know, Carly, we, we have,
3: um, we do have a Bible study coordinator that I work with to make sure whenever we have someone show up at our church, we, we, we have a, a rundown, a debrief. We go through all of our guests, um, all of our, uh, first, second, third time. Visitors, those that are newer or at risk, every week, and our Bible study coordinator is on there. He facilitates making sure that everyone has a Bible study. We've got a list of available teachers in our church uh, that he draws from. Um, but we we encourage people not to wait to be assigned a Bible study, but to to actively work the altars. Uh, we've had a number of altar worker training classes. The altar is the best place in my opinion, to get a Bible study. Uh, when someone has just experienced a touch from God, uh, they are much more open to agreeing to take that next step. Uh, we also, uh, one of the things that we, we almost won't, we almost won't baptize someone unless it's extenuating circumstances, unless they agree to a home Bible study. Um, because if, if they're not willing to commit to the, to the whole journey, then maybe they're not ready for baptism. Now that may be a step too far for some, but we're not interested in just getting numbers of people baptized. We want people to be committed to the whole discipleship process. And when we look at the Great Commission, we see those two things are coupled together. Uh, baptism and teaching go hand in hand. And so we do ask them if they're going to be open to a, to a home Bible study, and then we get our coordinator to set that up for them.
2: I was going to ask this, for the Hanthorne, and I saw a few others, Jonathan Nazarian, I think Preston Proctor, I believe that, that is, who mentioned this, but... Do you have a um, curriculum that you use? Uh, what's kind of your go-to? Um, is it also something that maybe some of your church could say, this fits my style better? Or
3: uh, what's your um, kind of your go-to Bible study? Um, for me personally, it is exploring God's word. And that's simply out of sentiment. When, when I was in, I uh, shared at the beginning of the call that I spent five years in prison when I, when I first came to the Lord. And I had a preacher bring me an Exploring God's Word teacher's manual to the jail. He had to take the the, the spiral binder out of it because I might kill somebody. Uh, but he, he gave me the loose-leaf teacher's manual, and I fell in love with it. I learned. I cut my teeth on it. I and so that. that's what our church has embraced. Now, we have other Bible studies. Uh, Aaron Soto's church has developed a great study. We embrace that. We have people that teach that. Um, we use search for truth. We love long-term Bible studies for the purpose of discipleship and connecting with people. Um, one of the things that we've done is we have gone into a studio and I've, I've created for our church, a, um, a, basically a how to teach each lesson. So we sat down in a studio for about 15 minutes, called it a cheat sheet for each lesson and tips and tricks. We started lesson one, and I'll just spend 15 minutes on a video uh, instructing them um, how to how to advance the gospel through this lesson, um, how to teach the plan of salvation in this lesson, what are some questions you may be asked in this particular lesson. So we've tried to make teaching Bible studies foolproof for them and give them tools. And so we've made that jump drive available to all of our church. Uh, and I, I have people in our church that they'll, they'll tell me all the time, you know, I'm, I'm listening to your tips and tricks on lesson three, because I'm getting ready to go teach somebody a Bible study. And so we don't want to just tell them to teach Bible studies. We want to equip them to be able to do that. So that's been, again, another key part of creating that culture. Do we have time for one more
4: question? Can I get it? Well, if not, then I'm just going to ask you. Hey, I love love this whole thing. Obviously, we've stolen a lot from you use the equip stuff here that's amazing uh one question i had um it's a tension i'm dealing with is you said you know you had those guys that you were investing in that were a little younger that you know weren't as receptive which i think is you know could be somewhat a generational thing obviously i, I got a lot of those here that's a of most of our churches um so inv- deciding to not invest in this group and invest in this group kind of that you know, Jesus model tiered leadership thing. Uh, how did you, how do you kind of reconcile that with maybe like with Reagan, you know, five, eight years ago, maybe in that same stage, investing in him, even though he might've been in that state. I know you alluded to that a little bit, um, but then in this season, you know, maybe he's skipping over some of those, those, you know, the cool kid types to go over here. How, how are you deciphering that? You know, how are you yeah. evaluating is this a character issue? Is this a competency issue? Cause I got a few really gifted ones right now that, you know, are, uh, that I'm tempted to not invest in,
3: invest in others. And, and it's kind of hard to figure out which one, you know, depending the, on the season. At the end of the day, Jamil, they make that decision. I'm willing to invest in all of them, mm-hmm. but they've got to commit to the culture and they've got to commit to the, to the principles of leadership. Before we release them into the to the functions of leadership, and a lot of times, you know, the, the the culture that we've created does weed some people out. We don't personally choose who who comes through that culture, but the culture is such that we don't accommodate, um, you know, low commitment leadership. We don't accommodate that in our church. Uh, we value high commitment leadership. We value servant mindset and so by having those values in place and defending those values that culture sort of weeds out the people that and it's not that we say hey we're going to skip over anyone we we invite all of them into our into our training classes but inevitably because we have some requirements they've got to be teaching a bible study they've got to be at church on time you know they've got to wear a button-up shirt they can't come in a t-shirt i mean there's just some some basic things that you know that we're asking to try to get them to embrace a culture of excellence or a culture of, of, of servanthood. And if they're not willing to do that, then what it's saying is they're not ready to move forward in ministry, maybe as much as they thought they were. I hope that answered your question, but it's not us individually selecting people. It's it's us allowing the culture to select who's ready to grow into leadership here. Phenomenal answer. Thank you.
2: God, oh, that's beautiful. <clears throat> Again, thank you, Brother Hanthorn. Amazing job. Uh, you've had a lot of guys on this call singing your praises for a while. And I think uh, the rest of us are on that bandwagon now. Thank you for taking time out of your day and, and uh, investing in all of us uh, at impact community. And we appreciate everybody uh, getting on today. And and for those of you who have been with us weekly, thank you so much uh, for, for your investment. Uh, This is why we keep doing it. Uh, I think they've already mentioned, we do have a podcast. And all files from our previous calls will be uploaded this week. So if you have not uh, downloaded that podcast, do that. And uh, connect to Impact Community and share that with your friends and family, those in ministry that you feel like would uh, benefit as a result of this. Next Monday is Memorial Day. We will not be on the call next Monday. Hopefully you'll be spending time with your family. Uh, But the following Monday, June the 1st, we have Assistant General Superintendent Brother Stan Gleason, our special guest for that day, and uh, we'd love to have you back on there. We'll be sending you emails as a reminder, uh, but share this call and uh, look forward to what the future holds for Impact Community. You guys are honored by by being a part of it, and again, Brother Hentelman, thank you so much. God bless each and every one of you.
3: God bless. Thank you.
2: You <laughs>